This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Okay, I want to thank you for coming, and I would like to start with a prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for bringing us here today to consider how you have led us in the past in the literature ministry. And Lord, we will consider what you're doing today and what you will do in the future. And I pray that you will send your Holy Spirit to be our teacher this morning. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this message is called From the 1840s to Glow. I was eight years old. I remember looking out of the house and watching my mom coming towards the house and then entering the house. And then she gathered all seven children together. And she said, we need to pray. She just came from the hospital and she was given two weeks of life. And so she gathered all seven children together and we knelt down and, and she prayed. She had, a heavy, she had a heavy burden in her heart. You see, my dad was atheist. And so she's thinking about what will happen after she's gone. And so she prayed for us children. The doctor gave her two weeks of life. A few weeks later, she gave him the desire of ages. And then a little later, she gave him the great controversy. Today, the doctor is a faithful Seventh-day Adventist. A few years back, I was, I was heading back home to visit my mom, and she arranged for me to preach in her local church. And she has invited that doctor to come. The doctor invited his friend doctor, and that friend doctor invited his friend who worked for the national TV. After the church service, they went to our house, and my mom told them many stories of how God has provided for us as a family. Many, many stories. At the end, before they left, she gave them the desire of ages. Six months later, she received a phone call from the national TV asking if she would be willing to be part of a program, a story about what it was like growing up or living during communism as a Christian. And it was six months later when it was aired. And, and she called me later on. She said, you know, there were a lot of people who watched the program. The whole program started with her reading the Fourth Commandment. She's reading the Fourth Commandment, and, and the footage is she's walking down by the river where she was baptized. And she's sharing how she has found the truth on national TV. There were some family members and friends of Seventh-day Adventists who called their Adventist friends and members of our church, and they said, we never knew the Sabbath was in the Bible. God has used literature and TV in a big way. Now, when we look at the history, we'll see that in 1800s, God did not use television. It's because it was not available. God is using television in a big way. But we cannot assume that that medium will be always available in the future. As the Bible says, you won't be able to buy or sell. That applies to you cannot buy satellite time. Amen? 
So we'll be spending some time talking about the history of the literature work in our church. Then the second seminar, Nelson Ernst, will be covering 12 ways to engage in personal ministry of sharing glow. And then in the third seminar, we'll be looking at how we can be involved in, in a glow ministry at the local church level, how we can lead out in that. We're looking at the Millerite movement right now. And God is laying a foundation. And the way he does it is through translation and distributions of the Bible. What he's doing is he's putting Bibles in people's hands. Because the preached word will be preached from the Bible. William Miller started preaching in 1831. And he would proclaim the message in two different ways. It was through preaching and through publishing. Himes and William Miller met in 1839. And Joshua V. Himes became the chief organizer, promoter, and publicist of William Miller. This is what it said of Joshua V. Himes. It says, Himes made many, many dynamic contributions. Perhaps his greatest was through publications. In February 1840, without money or subscri subscription list, he launched the first Adventist periodical, Signs of the Times. It catapulted Adventism into prominence. In fact, the Signs of the Times became so popular that a secular press approached them and they said, we want to buy it. Because they realized if we can buy Signs of the Times, we can make a lot of money. Within four years, the Advent message was proclaimed in different cities by the Midnight Cry, the Glad Tidings, the Advent Chronicles, the Ju Jubilee Trumpet, the Philadelphia Alarm, the Voice of Elijah, the Southern Midnight Cry, the Western Midnight Cry, the True Midnight Cry, and several others. Now, now catch this now. Before the great disappointment of 1844, eight million copies of Adventist literature found the people and spread the word. Eight million copies between 1840 and 1844. During that time, there was around 17 million people living in the United States. That equals to around three million households. That means that every household was hit at least two times with the Adventist literature. That was the Millerite movement. Now we go beyond that, and after the great disappointment, the Sabbath message was being shared. And it was done by literature. Thomas Preble wrote a track called Tract, showing that the seventh day should be observed as the Sabbath. Joseph Bates read the track and accepted the Sabbath message. Then he traveled hours to visit Frederick Wheeler, who believed in the Sabbath as well, unannounced at 10 o'clock in the evening. He told Wheeler he wanted to study about the Sabbath. And then they went on on all-night Bible study. After that, he's traveling back home. And okay, let's try this, this, this way here. After he arrives home, he meets his neighbor, and the neighbor says, what's the news, Captain Bates? The news is that the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. 
our God. The Adventist had a model to follow in sharing the message. It was through preaching and through publishing. Interestingly, the same track that, that converted Bates into the Sabbath message, the same track was used to reach John Andrews as well. In May of 1846, Joseph Bates published a 40-page track called The Opening Heavens. Now, there were believers who believed that Jesus came in 1844 spiritually, and this track was showing why it was wrong. Now, here's a pattern how they paid for this track. It was paid by sacrifice of the layman. There was a lady who sold her new carpet and funded the printing of the track. Joseph Bates soon became known as the Apostle of the Sabbath and wrote several booklets on the topic. One of them was entitled The Seventh-day Sabbath, a perpetual sign from the beginning to the entering into the gates of the holy city according to the commandment. What a title. Uh, we simplify it today and we call things, things like signs, the sign. We keep it so much more simple. Now the review also began to print tracks as well. They didn't have all the equipment needed to print. In fact, Uriah Smith used a pen knife to count, cut the tracks. And at the end he said, tracks, they were square in doctrine, even if their pages were not. In 1848, Ellen White had a vision. She says, after coming out of vision, I said to my husband, I have a message for you. You must begin to print a little paper and send it out to the people. Let it be small at first, but as the people read, they will send you means with which to print, and it will be success from the first. From this small beginning, it was shown to me to be like streams of light that went clear around the world. From the small beginning of printing one paper. She says, you must begin to print. James White had a heavy burden to print, but he had no money. There were a thousand believers who were very poor. But a local printer agreed to print that track or that, that paper on credit. Listen to the description of, of, of what was going on. It says, the precious printed sheets were brought into the house and laid on the floor. And then a little group of interested ones were gathered in, and we knelt around the papers, and with humble hearts and many tears besought the Lord to let his blessing rest upon these printed messengers of truth. Not amazing? With humble hearts and tears, they prayed to God to bless the papers. Then they folded the papers, they put addresses, and then James White walked eight miles to the town to send it through the post office. The publishing work in the yet unformed denomination had begun. In 1850, the Second Advent Review and Sabbath Herald was published. 
Today we know it as the Adventist Review. And of course, this paper brought all those scattered believers together. This is what unified them. Then in 1852, a small printing press was purchased. That was back in New York. In 1855, Uriah Smith became the editor of the review. He was only 23 years old. The press was moved to Battle Creek, Michigan, and they purchased a large steam press. In 1858, Ellen White had a great controversy vision. Now, this is one of the most significant books in our church we have today. A few years ago, there was a young lady right here in Phoenix doing literature evangelism. She was a MagaBook student. And she was showing books to this one lady when the lady took in her hands the book, The Great Controversy, and she got really excited. She says, this is the book. This is the book. She says, what do you mean, this is the book? She says, I read this book. It changed my life. And then she says, I thought if it changed my life, it will change my husband's life too. You see, her husband was abusive. And so she prayed for her husband, and she thought, if this book changed my life, it will change his life too. So she placed uh, the book, The Great Controversy, on a table in the living room. One day, sure enough, he picks up the book, and he starts reading this book, but he hates the book. You see, he does not like some of the honest account of the Catholic Church in the book. And he is a Catholic. So he takes it and throws it in the burning fireplace. A few hours later, the white comes home and, and he sits in a chair crying, holding the great controversy in his hand. And he says, this book must be from God because it would not burn. This is one of many stories in this new book available at GYC called The Open Door. It's available at the GYC booth. Also, if you go to the Glow booth, they have special, uh, special promotion. If you buy so many Glow tracks, you actually get a voucher to take it to GYC booth, and you get a copy there as well. In 1860, uh, we uh, finally established our name, the Seventh-day Adventist, and we have to come up with a name because we, we own something. And so we have to have now a legal name. And so the reason why we came up with the name Seventh-day Adventist is because we had a press that needed a legal name. So it was not because we were establishing a church. It's because we had a printing press established. Now I'm going on to 1853. And this is S.N. Haskell. S.N. Haskell made a big contribution to the tract ministry, we'll see in just a little bit. And he accepted the message through reading a tract called Elihu on the Sabbath. Stephen Haskell was a preacher. He was a Sunday, uh, Sunday preacher, or he, he worshipped on Sunday, but he was a young preacher. And one day he was traveling to Canada, and he had a trunk with him. He had a luggage with him that he needed to leave somewhere. And he found out there was a man by the name of William Saxby who would be willing to keep his trunk. And so he goes there, he leaves it there, and William Saxby gives him the track Elihu on the Sabbath. He's really disturbed by this whole thing. He's not ready to accept the Sabbath. And so he goes on, he's traveling to Canada, he's on the boat, 
And five miles before he arrives, he gets off the boat, goes in the woods. This was Sabbath day. Goes in the woods and spends the whole day praying and pleading with God. And at the end, he surrenders. He moves to South Lancaster, Massachusetts, and there are four mothers who are praying for their children. But over time, they also start doing missionary labor where they share tracts, they are lending papers, and they are sharing books. Haskell goes to, uh, he goes to visit um, the whites in Battle Creek, and they appeal to him that we need to share literature and we need to share tracts like the leaves of Adam. And so he goes back to South Lancaster, and on June 8, 1869, he organizes Vigilant Missionary Society. The ladies, what they did is they collected hundreds of names and they mailed out papers. This is exactly what's been doing, doing done, being done today as well. I want to share with you a glow story. There was a couple in their 60s who collected 732 addresses. In what they did is they, they labeled them with the addresses and they put six tracks in each of the envelopes and they mailed it out. And they did it six time, four, or four times. They mailed out over 17,000 glow tracks. Greg was one of the people who received the tracks. Later on, he called the glow office and himself ordered 2,500 glow tracks. Soon, Bible studies start coming in from the area where Greg lived. Now, back to the ladies. The ladies also started to mail tracts overseas as well. And they would study French and German just so they can witness to people. What a reason to learn a language, right? Now, Haskell saw the footage of the ministry, and so he organized what he called the Tract and Missionary Society of the New England Conference. He met with the whites again, and James White, when he saw this, it says that a vision of denomination-wide enterprise built on the same plan as the New England Tract and Missionary Society loomed large in the mind of James White. And so he asked Stephen Haskell to be the one who would travel from conference to conference and start the, the state, the local tract and missionary societies. Part of the plan was also to start a new journal, a monthly journal. It was called the True Missionary. And in that, they would provide training on how they can share tracts and literature. Later on, it was merged with the Review and Herald magazine. Now, in the very first issue, this is what Ellen White writes, in the very first issue of the True Missionary magazine or, or paper. It says, we are not keeping pace with the opening providences of God. In other words, God is doing so much, uh, you are not keeping up with what God is doing. Jesus and angels are at work. This cause is onward while we are standing still and being left in the rear. And so between 1872 and 1875, many state tract and missionary societies were organized. Now listen to this quote. This is from the book Men of Action, page 32. 
societies, tract and missionary societies, began to spring up here and there. And wherever there was a lively tract and missionary society, there was sure to be a growing, thriving church. I can see that even in our churches today. I, I work with the Globe Ministry, and I can tell the difference between a church that is excited about Globe Ministry. There's, there's a life in the church. And then there are churches with not sharing literature. There's no life. This work rallied practically the whole membership and the children to the circulation of tracts and periodicals, both by personal contacts and by correspondence. Now, Haskell loved to tell stories. And he urged everybody, even children, to be involved. And the story that he shared was about children, the ages six and seven, who refused to spend their own money on candies because they want to invest it in the Lord's work. I wonder where they learn it from. How do children get the idea of supporting the Lord's work? I think that's where we play a part as parents. Now, he also appealed to the farmers. You know, the farmers would say, we're just too busy. We have to stay We're on the farm. There's so much work to do. Here is the advice that Stephen Haskell gave the farmer. He says, if their large farms kept them at home, sell off 40 acres to have time for God's work. That was his solution. Now, because of all the different tract and mission societies were organized, the General Conference established the General Tract and Missionary Society as well. And the purpose of that was to unify all the state tract and missionary societies. Now, they saw the need to invest in overseas missions. And so they also established a fund to support the literature for the distant lands. I'm going to say this, if there was ever time when we needed a fund to support overseas missions, it's now. And I don't know what the link is, maybe glowonline.org slash donate. But we have a great need for finances to support the, the glow ministry overseas. A great story came from California during that time, 18, uh, 1870s. There was a family who was baptized into the Adventist church. And there were some things they didn't need anymore, like jewelry. And so they donated, they, they actually turned, they, they donated the jewelry to the Tract Mission Society. And they received $200 for that. Okay? They took the $200 and they purchased tracts for that. And they were able to trace 20 baptisms to those tracks. From jewelry to $200 to 20 souls. I wonder if we have things at home that we don't need anymore. Things that have a value that we can go and sell on eBay or Craigslist or, or yard sale. Things that we can dedicate to the Lord and then use it perhaps to fund overseas work or to fund dark counties. You know, we have places where there's no Adventist presence in our conferences, and we can use the funds to purchase tracts and then enter those dark counties. In 1890s, there was a new series of tracts developed called the Apples of Gold, 
and then words of truth as well. Haskell had always favored the free use of tracks. He would never forget that it was a tract that had focused his attention on the Sabbath message. Now it says, our publishing work was established by the direction of God and under his special supervision. It was designed to accomplish a specific purpose. Now when I read that, I want to know what is the specific purpose. This is what it says, Coldwater Ministry, page 4. The publications sent forth from our printing houses are to prepare a people to meet God. Throughout the world, they are to do the same work that was done by John the Baptist for the Jewish nation. That is significant. The same work that, G- that John the Baptist did before the first coming, it says the publications will do before the second coming. That is very, very significant. Coporate Ministry, page 5, it says publications must be multiplied and scattered like the leaves of Adam. These silent messengers are enlightening and molding the minds of thousands in every country and in every clime. Jen Andrews was sent as the first SDA missionary to Europe, the, the first official missionary to Europe in 1874. The question is, why did Andrews go to Europe? Michael Tchaikovsky was a Polish priest who became a Seventh-day Adventist who lived in the United States, but he had a burden for Europe. And so he asked the church to send him to Europe. The church felt like he was not ready, and so they declined to send him. But he said, I'm going to go anyways. And then he found a Sunday-keeping church that would sponsor him. It was an Advent church, but they kept, the, kept, they kept Sunday. So he went to Europe and he preached the Adventist message. He went to Italy and, and the work didn't go that well there. And so he moved to Switzerland and started some tracks and, and publishing work. Later on, the believers, and he's gone by then, they, they discover at the Rivian Herald magazine in uh, in, in the place where he used to live. And so they found out there was a church that believed the same thing that they believed in. They thought they were the only ones. And so they rode to Bottle Creek. And the Adventists were so excited, they said, you know, we have a general conference session. Why don't you come down and, and, and send a delegate? So they sent a brother who didn't speak English. But yet he was, he was versed in theology. And so he spent some time here learning English. And then, of course, they urged the General Conference to send a missionary. So the reason why we sent Jane Andrews to Europe is because they were believers who believed in the message and they were won through the preaching of the word and the publishing work as well. Jane Andrews arrives and they have a first informal meeting. A couple of weeks later, they met again to discuss printing of tracts, and he was voted to raise 2,000 francs to start the publishing work. And those tracts were to be written in French or translated into French. Here's an interesting story about how the work started in Germany. 
There was a beggar who came to Switzerland and he needed a place to stay. And so the Adventist folk said, oh, sure, you can stay with us. And then, of course, why would you let somebody stay overnight so you can minister to them? Amen. And so while he's staying with them, one of the ladies is, is sharing the Sabbath message with him. And he says, that's, that's nothing new. There's a group of people in Germany who believed in the Sabbath message. And they learned about Mr. Linderman, who was a co-porter and a preacher in the Protestant Reformed Church and who taught Sabbath. And so Jan Andrews and another brother traveled to Germany to see what's going on there. This is what it says. As the result of this visit, there were, when Brother Andrews left, about 50 persons in cordial sympathy with our work. Now, what they did is they would, they would put notices in the papers because they didn't know how widespread the Sabbath message was. They would put notices and asking people to kind of come out. Let us know that you keep the Sabbath. I thought about this story. Now, let me, let me repeat what I just said. They came to Germany and they discovered Sabbath, Sabbath keepers. But they didn't know how many Sabbath keepers there were. And so they would put up notices in, in the papers asking people to contact them if they kept the Sabbath. I wondered about today, and, and there are millions of pieces of literature, Adam's literature, placed in the homes. What can we do to, to get their attention to come out as well? You know, one thing we can do, and because the GLOW ministry is so growing, that one day we can say, when we have evangelistic meetings, evangelistic meetings sponsored by GLOW, and people will connect that truth with the flyers. Or what about the Bible stories? I mean, you know, you see Bible stories in doctor's offices, and, and, and a lot of people are familiar with it. What if we took our evangelistic flyers and let them know that we have children's program as well, and then put that Bible story logo there? Simply say it's sponsored by the Bible stories or something. Somehow connect ourselves with, with the world and have them come to us. So Jane Andrews goes to, to Switzerland in 1874. And then in 1875, they already started to print tracts. And it says that 3,000 copies of the following tracts were printed. Notice the titles, the subjects. One was the Millennium, the Second Advent, the two thrones, the judgment, the sanctuary. And then they printed 10,000 copies of which day to keep and why. And then, of course, the most important thing that they did, they organized the Tract and Missionary Society. One year later, the French Signs of the Times was published. A few, years, a few more years later, and Jane Andrews is now dying. And this is what it says about him. It says, he, Andrews, was using his remaining fragment of strength in writing articles and tracts in editing the French paper, Science of the Times. So with the energy he had left, he invested in the publishing work. God has started the work in England through publishing work as well. There was a man who worked at the port 
with the ships. And he, what he was trying to do is get the message to go into all the world. He also went door to door and was sharing literature that way as well. Stephen Haskell, as I said before, he was sent to different states and he was promoted to attract the missionary society. That's why he's in England at that time. And he was thrilled to see the large amount of literature being distributed since the organization of the National Tract and Missionary Society of England was established. But it says more so he was thrilled when he held his, in his hand a sheet printed on their own press. So it was exciting to share the literature, but it was even more excite, exciting to actually share literature that was printed by their own press in England. The work in Denmark was started by the literature work as well. First, literature was mailed from, from the United States to Denmark, but later on, Brother Madison was sent off to Denmark, and he even learned how to print, and he was instrumental in starting their own printing house in Denmark as well. Great story about Mr. Hansen and Brorsen. Mr. Hansen was a Baptist who believed in the Sabbath message. Though he was questioning that, he was not sure exactly where he should go. Well, the other brother, Borson, uh, did not like the fact that Brother Hansen believed in the baptism. So he said, let me try to make a point to him. And then he went on to explain to him that we don't take all the Bible doctrine seriously. And he says, for example, the Sabbath message. You know, it says we should worship on Sabbath, but we don't do it. Therefore, it is logical that even though the Bible teaches about the baptism, we shouldn't believe in that stuff either. Well, it was great encouragement to Brother Hansen. And he was now sure he wanted to keep the Sabbath. Now, Brother Hansen was reading in the Arendtist Journal about what Ellen White had to say that she had seen about the publishing work in foreign countries. And it was a great encouragement to him. And I wondered, what is it that he read? Perhaps this is what he read. This is taken from the true missionary, January 1, 1874. I have been shown that the publications already have been doing a work upon some minds in other countries in breaking down the walls of prejudice and superstition. This is very significant. Breaking down the walls of prejudice and superstition. Then she goes on to say, I saw them holding papers and tracts in one hand and the Bible in the other while their cheeks were wet with tears and bowing before God in earnest, humble prayer to be guided into all truth, the very thing he was doing before them, for them before they called upon him. When the truth was received in their hearts and they saw the harmonious chain of truth. The Bible was to them a new book. They hugged it into their hearts with grateful joy while their countenances were all aglow with happiness and holy joy. She saw people holding the Bible in one hand and the tracts in the other as they were studying the message. The work in Australia started through publishing works well. In fact, before, 11 years before we sent missionaries to, to Australia, 
Ellen White had a vision about starting publishing houses all over the world. And when they asked her, do you remember any countries? The only place she could remember was Australia. There was a coal porter who did a lot of canvassing in the area. Uh, Haskell, of course, he would set up a tent to preach, but they also produced literature. Now, there was some prejudice, there was some opposition to the literature because it was produced in America, and they didn't like it. But when they established their own printing press, it was much more accepted. It is interesting that two of the converts early were two printers who then developed the, the publishing house in Australia as well. It says as early as, this is, this is the work in New Zealand now, as early as 1874, an, an interest in SDA teachings was awakened in individuals in New Zealand by publications sent from friends and relatives in the United States. The work in South Africa. William Hunt was a miner who went to South Africa and he brought with him tracts and papers and he started to distribute those as well. It is interesting that he came into the truth through Loveborough who gave him a copy of Uriah Smith's Thoughts on Revelation and he included some tracts as well. Work in Russia. I just love this story right here. There was a neighbor who approached uh, Brother Perk, and he says, for three years, I have had some very dangerous publications in my house. <laughs> I have never given them to anyone to read. Indeed, these publications are so dangerous that even an earnest member of the Brethren Church might be led astray by them. <laughs> what do you think Brother Perk wanted to see? He wanted to see those, those tracks. And all oh, the track, and it was entitled, The Three Angels' Message. Brother Perk read it, and he wrote to the review and requested more literature as well. There was another man, 80 years old. He was German-American living in the States. And he had a burden to share the message in Russia as well. He is 80 years old. So finally, he, try, uh, he travels to, to Russia, and this, is, this was his method. It says he would take several tracks to the village marketplace and request persons to read it to, them, to him, pleading poor eyesight. If the reader seemed interested, he was promptly presented with a track. It's almost like the Walden Seas kind of work, you know. You've heard of the Bitcairn Islands? Literature was sent over there, but they were very suspicious. The island people were suspicious about it, and the literature was sitting there for 10 years. Finally, the young people picked it up and started reading it. It was through God's providence that John Tay traveled there, and he requested that he could stay there a little longer. For the next five weeks, he preached the message, and by that time he left, all of the adults accepted the message. There was a lady in Lake Tahoe that had Adventist literature sitting in her drawer for 30 years. She said, I received different literature from different religions and I had thrown those away, but she said, for some reason, I was impressed to keep 
the Adventist literature in her drawer. For 30 years, she did not touch it. After 30 years, she picked it up, read it, and that Sabbath, she showed up in the church. The Union Literature Ministries director happened to be in that church that Sabbath, and he was so thrilled to see firsthand how God is using literature. The work in Caribbean islands. What we're doing is we are looking at different countries and how the work started. The work of preaching and publishing was the way we started churches. But oftentimes, the literature preceded the, 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 the living preacher. It says the story of the seventh Adventist entry into the tropical islands of the Caribbean is the story of tracks, corporators, and dedicated women determined to share a newfound faith with their old, their old friends and relatives. Many young people have joined in and they became corporators. By the time Jamaican Conference was organized in 1903, there were 1,200 Seventh-day Adventists on the island. The work in Mexico was started by the publishing work. Interestingly, they did not have Spanish literature, so they sold English literature. <laughs> English great controversy. And they were winning souls. We may not always have the right tools, but God will use what we have. The work in Haiti, Henry Williams and his wife had be become Sabbath keepers as a result of reading tracts sent from England. There's a story about Haitian Methodist preacher and teacher by the name Michael Isaac. He prayed to God for a deeper experience. One day, one of his students knocked on his door and they said, we found a book by J.A. and Andrews entitled History of the Sabbath. He knew that was the answer to his prayer. He read that book and accepted the Seventh-day Adventist message. He also wrote a track on the Sabbath, defending the Sabbath. By the time the first Adventist worker arrived in Haiti, late in 1905, there were several small congregations ready for baptism. Ellen White says in Testimonies, Volume 8, page 89, there are many places in which the voice of the minister cannot be heard, places which can be reached only by our publications, the books, papers, and tracts filled with the Bible truths that the people need. Here's a report from 1910 through 1913. They have given 900,000 Bible studies. They have distributed 25 million tracts, books, and papers. I'm going to skip through this part right here. This deals with in, um, in gathering and how literature was used for, uh, uh, within gathering projects as well. Second World War, we not only gave soldiers literature for their personal use, but also for the evangelistic use. In 1950, the Missionary Book of the Year project was started. Now, we have Missionary Book of the Year project happening every year now. The layman also took those books, the Zero of Ages and um, your Bible and you, and they placed them in hotel rooms as well, right next to the Gideon Bibles. Large cities, this is what it says about the large cities, one other development with the Adventism is directly traceable to the tract and missionary societies. The first systematic attempt to penetrate the large 
American cities with the Seventh-day Adventist doctrines. From 1851 to 1861, some 67 million tracts of this type were printed and given away. They have also adopted the concept of placing tracks, uh, track racks, the track stands in, in their own offices or they will put, put them in laundromats and waiting station of the bus stations and airline terminals as well. Today, we are part of the Great Controversy Project and they have printed over 175 million Great Controversy. In South American Division on a single day, they have distributed 25 million copies of the Great Hope. The Glow Ministry started in 2007, and this far they have printed 42 million Glow tracks in 45 languages. What's, what's incredible about this ministry is that little children love Glow tracks. Young people love it, um, and the rest of us. Amen. Ellen White says, and in a large degree through our publishing houses to be accomplished the work of that other angel who comes down from heaven with great power and who lightens the earth with his glory. Then she says also more than 1,000 will soon be converted in one day, most of whom will trace their first convictions to the reading of our publications. Does God have a plan for literature in the last days? You better believe it. It says that most of the people who will come to the church, the first conviction, the first reason, the first encounter with the truth will be through our printed page. Listen to this. Thousands in the 11th hour will see and acknowledge the truth. These conversions to truth will be made with rapidity that will surprise the church. We'll be amazed how many people will be coming in the church and it's because we've been sowing if you sow well, you will reap well. Amen. Recently, I read a story about Seventh-day Adventist lady who lived in, in Portugal, but she was a German. And she made a trip to Germany, and she asked her friend to give her a few copies of the Great Controversy. It was part of that Great Controversy project distribution. And that friend gave her a box of 50 Great Controversies. She's thinking, what am I going to do with 50 Great Controversies? You know, I, I'm soon leaving Germany, and and she was heading to Switzerland and then Portugal. So she's like, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. As she's coming close to Switzerland, there's a traffic jam. In fact, everybody is at standstill, and very soon people start getting out of their cars just talking to each other. Well, she pulled out her Bible and the Sabbath school lesson and starts studying. I mean, we're not going anywhere. Soon after that, there was a knock at the window. A man came to her and said, what are you reading, young man? She says, well, I'm reading um, this, this uh, lesson here. It's about the second coming. What's that? I never heard of it. She said, well, it's in the Bible. She said, really? So she opens her Bible and starts reading Matthew 24 to him. He said, that's fascinating. And so at the end of the conversation, she gives him the great controversy, one great controversy. He goes back to the car Soon after that, his wife comes out. And she says, can you tell me what you, tell your husband, what you told my husband about Jesus coming? I've never heard of it. So she starts telling her as well. Soon after that, more people start gathering around the car. She's sitting inside the car, now talking to a couple dozen of people. 
and more people start gathering as well. She actually had to get out of the, out of the car and start talking to people about how Jesus is coming soon. And then she opens the box and gives everybody the great controversy because everybody wanted a copy of the great controversy. She had three great controversies left in the box. And she said, Lord, I wonder what the plan for the last three great controversies is. Soon after that, a police helicopter flies over and lands right close to where she was parked. The police comes down and says, you know, we've been, we've been notified that through the satellite images, there was a large gathering of people right here, and we assumed there was some kind of medical emergency. They said, oh, no, 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 we've been talking about the Bible. We've been talking about the second coming. And they said, that's interesting, we never heard of it. She said, well, we have a book that tells you more about it. And that's how she got rid of the last three copies of the Great Controversy. Now, because of the helicopter being there, more people gather around and say, what's going on here? So, well, we've been talking about the Great, uh, how Jesus is coming soon and how they have received a copy of the Great Controversy. They say, well, do you have more? They says, no, we're out. So, well, what if, she says, but if you give me your address... I will send you. And so there was a dozen of more people that requested the Greek controversy. God will use literature in a way that we would never imagine. That lady never imagined that she could share those 50 copies, but God had a bigger plan. He knew that she would run out of 50 copies of the Greek controversies. I want to encourage you today. As Ellen White said in the vision that soon she saw the streams of light going clear around the world. And I imagine the pioneers going, carrying the torch of the publishing work and then passing on the torch to us. And with the eyes of faith, they're looking at us and say, what will you do? Will you commit yourself to sharing literature like we have done back in the days? And my prayer is that we all will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that we were able to spend some time just reflecting on the history of the publishing work in our church. And it was very clear to us that you have used literature in a big way. And we know, based on what you have said through Sister White, that you will do the same in the last days. Help us to be faithful. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.